0: I, I talked to my grandma this morning, and uh, yeah, if you guys want to, you guys can go drop off the kids there with Ash. They'll take them up, and you guys can can grab a seat, um, but uh, I was talking to my grandma this morning, and uh, she's going to be married, I think, 57 years uh, this year. Um, you guys can give it up for that, 57 years of marriage. How many of you, it's pretty. it's pretty uncommon, right? It's pretty uncommon, and uh, when I was talking to her, you know, I thought, man, like, there's something about, um, about that generation's faith and that generation's, like, the way that they kind of stick things out in their relationships, not just with people, but even with God. My grandma's walked through so many uh, different things in life, and she's been able, uh, you know, to, rem- to remain. Anybody got grandparents like that? Like, they're just solid like in, in their in their walks with God, they're just like they're married forever. You're like, we don't even know how this is possible. Like you're you're not even you're not even that old to be married that long, but it just makes sense. That's my grandma. So, um, yeah, I was just talking to her this morning, and and when I was sitting there, I was just reminded of of her wild faith and what she has stood for. And so this morning, uh, I don't want to keep you guys here here too long, um, but this morning. Uh, as I was praying through just kind of what I wanted to, to share with the, with the room, I really heard these, these two words, inconvenient breakthrough, and how many of you love inconveniences? Anybody? You love them? Okay, awesome. Um, this morning, I want to give you guys, again, permission. We have, we have a culture in one voice, not only in worship, of engaging, but even in the word. I want to give you permission uh, to engage. Is there, is there something that you hear? Is there something that you hear? That you're like, man, that, that, that is for me. I want to give you permission to, to just in, in, engage in that. I don't know if you guys have ever watched You guys ever watched sports with a sports fanatic. Yeah. Like, like a real sport, like jersey, like really, like really a, a sports fanatic. They just don't wear the jersey. They're really a sports fanatic. They get wildly into the game and what's going on. They're like yelling at the screen as if they're even playing. You ever meet people like that? Like they actually think they're playing the game. And they actually think that the players could hear them through the screen. You're like, no one can hear you, bro. You're eating your Doritos. Just chill, right? I want to give you permission to be those people this morning. And I also want to ask you if you would just take this next moment, just like I would say in high schools, put your phones down. Don't swipe through other people's lives. Live your own for a moment, okay? You can't tell how many likes someone got on their, on their pictures anyways anymore, so just, just put it away, okay? <laughs> Inconvenient breakthrough. I just wanted to just kind of open up with this. Our weak, our weak faith or small faith has the ability to see God move like we've never seen him move before. And in America, our battle in this culture is unbelief. Now, I was just in Brazil for eight days. I was there with Tim. Um, it, we had a lot of cheese balls, orange juice, and, and funny stories. But um, And we got a Brazilian in the house. Y'all know Vinny? Everybody know Vinny? He's from Dudamis, from Brazil. Actually, I, I really believe Vinny is a prototype. I believe that there are going to be Brazilians that are going to start coming to Pasadena like never before. When, I, when we were in Brazil, I got to tell you, like, like, Going to Brazil will ruin you, especially if you go to a movement called Dudemus. And let me tell you why. Because when you go to a movement like Dudemus, you actually realize how much unbelief you carry. Because you don't realize how much unbelief you carry until you're around someone with faith. And you don't realize how apathetic you are until you're around someone who's not apathetic. I mean, like 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 the room was was I, I've just never been in probably a hungrier room. Maybe 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 like Kona, Hawaii, um, post DTS after they're back from their outreach. That's a probably about equivalent. But um, we're in this we're in this place uh, at this camp. Um, due to Miss Camp and I mean it's so crazy like when they introduce speakers like they stand up and they pick up their chairs Tim's like we should pick up our couches I'm like no we're not going to our couch like <laughs> it's it's insane like like their culture is is just it's crazy like in worship you can't even stop worship I mean you, you've seen it like you can't even stop worship because the people won't stop singing so like the musicians, I mean, there was literally a point, I don't know if you've seen that, that one worship leader, she was just done. And they just kept going, she's walked off stage. I'm like, man, like, they just, they just would not stop worshiping. There was so much hunger and so much passion. And, and I was thinking about this. Our battle in America is unbelief. Because if you look at the way we respond to God, it is always rooted in what we think of God. The way you respond, like, like in a worship moment, this is why when I'm like, come out of your seat, like, we're trying to create a culture here within the, within one voice and within our Mondays of expectation. But how many of you know that expectation doesn't happen, it just doesn't happen accidentally. Expectation is something that you have to really prep yourself for. Now, I grew up with a mom, this is not to diss my mom in any way, but I grew up with a mom that taught me a very bad phrase that has shaped most of my life that I'm still sometimes trying to get out of. She would always tell me, hope for the best, expect the worst. I don't know if you ever grew up in a home like that. Hope for the best, expect. And what that did was it it pre-set me up that I was ready for failure at any time but I was never expectant for breakthrough. I, was always, I, would always, I would always almost brace myself. Have you ever been in a car accident before and you've seen the car coming and you brace yourself right, right before it hits you? That was how I lived most of my life. I was braced for impact, but never expectant for breakthrough. And I think most of us have lived our Christianity like that. We brace ourselves for impact. We bra- so all of a sudden, God does something, and in the back of our minds, we're like, well, this is great. Kind of like when I grew up, my dad would buy me like something for Christmas, but in the back of my mind, I knew he got me something for Christmas, but then this just means it's something he can take away when I'm in trouble. I don't know if you've ever been through that in your life. Like, God gives me something, so then he has something to take away from me. Right? I don't know if you've ever had that mindset before. It's this unbelief within our culture in America that when I'm going out to these other nations, I'm just not seeing, and it's it's honestly, it's provoking me to say, what is like, what do we truly like, God? What are you? What? Why are you filling stadiums in Brazil, and we're like bribing people to come to a Vox conference, like like we'll give you thirty five dollars tickets, you know, and and a Starbucks card, like in front row. I'll think about it. What like 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 what is going on in these countries? It's there's desperation in these countries. In America, our, our battle was unbelief, and it's rarely, it's interesting because it's rarely even Satan that has to come against us when the neighbor next to us does it for him. When you're sitting, not, not, not literally, you're not sitting next to people, I'm just, in, in, you know what I mean. Like, I've seen firsthand moments of unbelief in my own personal life, and a good indication or a good sign that you have unbelief is this. Are you offended with someone else's faith? You want to know, like, how do I know if I carry unbelief? Are you offended by your neighbor by the way he worships? Have you ever been next to somebody and they're like, you're like, just, you're like, you have like, I feel like there's like different styles of where you have kind of like the the cool worship, like, right? Let's be honest. Is everyone, is everyone focusing? Y'all hear me? And then you have the guys that are like, then you have the ones that are like, they're really cool. They're like, right? They're multitasking in the presence. Then you have the Lou Ingles, you know, like the IHOPs, you know, there's just these different styles, right? I, mean, I don't know if you've ever been next to somebody who their, their, their style was offending you. You're like, you're, you're too wild, you're, you're too crazy, you're too jumpy. That's probably a good indication that there's a hint of unbelief in your own heart. Have you ever been next to someone who is celebrating and instead of you being able to celebrate them, you could only think about the moments that God hasn't come through for you. How about this? When we hear someone speaking of God moving, does it actually provoke you to move with God or does it provoke you to actually stay where you're at and judge that person? I don't know if you've, if you've ever been around someone, they're like, man, like, to me personally, the worst, the worst thing I feel like is when, man, God, we went out, outreach was amazing, people got healed, and then, like, there's one clap. Does that not, could we just, like, talk about these things for a second? Is that not, like, bizarre? That that's our culture? And I'll be honest, that's my culture too sometimes, right? It's like, oh, that's, like, we almost feel like, that's a nice little testimony. Good job. Like, keep it up. Stay in church. Like, it's almost like, like, we don't value anymore even the expectation of God moving. This is crazy. And check this out. The war being waged by unbelief has one trophy, and it's called your heart. Unbelief's trophy is to win your heart. If unbelief can win your heart, Jesus no longer sits on the throne of that heart. Unbelief does. And what's crazy is unbelief and Jesus can coexist in the same place. I mean, a lot of Christians that are Christians, but they have unbelief. But what does it take to actually please God? It's impossible to please him without this is, this is crazy, right? And I've met so many people, like, like, when I was preaching at this, 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 this conference that we did in Brazil, um, you know, The guy who went before me blew it up. It was incredible. Like all these people got touched by God, and and I had one message that I felt like the Lord wanted me to speak, and I've spoken it before. You know, it's the Gospels for everyone. And I and I'm thinking to myself, I'm kind of crazy. I'm going to preach the Gospel in this Christian event. Everyone already looks saved, and but I'm like, I'm just going to go for it. Like it's all I got right now. And and so I just I get up there. I'm just like I'm in the corner before I'm going up. I'm like, Lord, help me. Like these people really love you. Like I don't know what I'm doing. Like I'm literally thinking all these crazy thoughts in my head. I'm like, you know, like. What if no one responds? And, and that night, man, I just, I, the translator started crying during the story, and he couldn't even translate for a moment. I'm like, you good man. Like, you know, like, it was, it was powerful, and I've never seen an altar call like this in, a, in America. When people were, they started coming up to receive Jesus or to get their lives right, there was tears and conviction in their faces. One guy was there. He was a Buddhist, believe it or not, and he got invited to this random Deutimus conference, and he came up and got saved. It, yeah, it's it's, it's crazy. I'm, when I when when I think of our Mondays and what we want to build here is more than a more than a church. I want to build a culture, right? Because church a lot of times is looked at as something you attend, but culture is something you carry everywhere you go. That means when you leave. If, that means if we build a, if we build a church. Then, what's gonna happen is you are gonna equate all the things that God does to this building. And all of a sudden, when you go home, nothing that you've learned here goes with you. Nothing that you've learned here goes into the supermarkets. Nothing that you learn here goes into your jobs. Nothing that you learn here goes into your kids. Ca- like, it's so important and vital that what we build here is culture on the inside of people. And as I'm going to different places, I'm realizing, man, there is incredible culture on, in these places. That I really believe God wants to inject here in America. Proverbs thirteen twelve. I just wanted to read this to you. You've probably heard this before. Hope deferred. You ever heard that? Well, two words before. Hope deferred <clears throat> makes the heart. Now, hope deferred, that, that actually, that word deferred means dragged out or drawn out. So hope that is drawn out or dragged out, right? You don't see it immediately. Makes, that word makes, you think that that's just a fill-in word for the scripture. Makes there actually means to be weak or sick. So when hope is deferred, a heart becomes sick, right? Now, when my sister, I, I think I've told you guys, when my sister came to, to stay with us for about a month, <clears throat> she ended up getting radically saved. Um, I tell this story now all over. And I just, I just talked to my sister last week. She's doing great. She's going to a, a local church out there. I don't know if she's too fond of it, but she's, she's going every week. She's just, she, yeah, it's, it's, it's amazing. She's kind of like man. It's, it's just not like one voice. It's not like why I'm like it's okay Like they still love God like it doesn't have to be us like just just keep going and she's like well They, they want me to wear long skirts and no makeup. I'm like well. I don't know what to tell you <laughs> like um, I, don't know. <laughs> I don't know like wear long skirts and your J's. I don't know like figure it out. So My, my sister, you know, I, I everywhere I travel now around the world the most powerful moment in my sermon that called the, the Gospels for Everyone is a moment I talk about my sister. And the reason why it's so powerful is because my sister was somebody that you would categorize as someone that was the furthest from the gospel, yet her story is the most powerful. Now, the, the part of the story that I never tell is the one I want to tell this morning. Because there's a part of my sister's journey at our house that I, did, I don't really speak of because I'm not too proud of it. And, and, and so my sister comes, just to give you guys some history, she comes in April, my wife invites her. I didn't really want her to come because I wasn't really close to her. But my wife's like, we need to bring her here, hang out with her. So I'm thinking like one day, it was, she invites her for four days. So I'm like, okay, four days, whatever. <clears throat> she comes, I'm thinking to myself, am <clears throat> I just going to make it through four days? <clears throat> my sister's going to go. Nothing bad with me and my sister. We just, it's just been years since we've connected. I don't know if you've ever had siblings like that. It's been years since you've connected, and you almost feel guilty because you haven't connected with them for years. So we never had a big blowout. We never had a fight. There was never anything bad that happened in our, in our relationship, other than she was kind of upset that I left Northern California to move to Southern California because they—they, they, my sister, when she was young, there was a point where she said, Can I call you dad? She had no dad in her life. I was a father figure. Literally, the day I got my driver's license at the DMV, my mom came to congratulate me at the DMV, and her way of congratulating me was she loaded up the car seats in my, in my Acura, and like, you're your siblings ride now everywhere. So that, I was taking them to school. I mean, there was just, I was involved in their lives, and all of a sudden, now I'm, I'm gone. My sister comes in April, we have some couch conversations where they're talking, and eventually the conversations uh, lead to her, to her wanting to stay. She ends up staying uh, for four weeks. Within those four weeks, she ends up getting saved. That's a story that I tell everybody because it's true. The part that I leave out was during the middle of that, right when my sister, I think she was encountering God, she had gotten saved. I go to, the, to, to Kansas City for about a day, and when I'm in Kansas, I get a phone call from my sister. It's part of the story I never share. Now the phone call consists of her saying, Hey Brian, I, I know I've accepted Christ. I want to go to this YWAM thing. This is going to be amazing. She goes, but I really need to go home for a few days. And I'm like, you cannot go home. Like, home is like drugs. Home is alcohol. Homes is like, and I'm, I'm trying not to be controlling with her. Right? I mean, you, know, you don't want to control people. You want to really guide them and lead them and for them to make that decision. But this is the point where I was like, I'm going to control you. Like, you're not going to go. Like, <laughs> lock lock her up. Like, no, not really. But I was, like, I was like, I don't think it's a good idea. And she's like, will you love me even if I go? This is what she tells me. And I'm like, of course I'm going to, in my head, I'm like, of course I'm going to love you. Don't go, right? Like, of course I'm going to love you. Like, just just don't go, it's not a good idea, and I remember that day, she ends up, she ends up going, I said, just talk to Marcella, she talked to Marcella, Marcella Marcella's like, I think we need to let her go, and I'm like, that's wrong, it's not not the right decision, like, and she ends up going, and I remember she gets on a a train, and she goes back to Northern California, and I remember that day, I was so defeated, I was on my way to the airport, I just got done with doing meetings in Kansas City, and I I was so defeated, and I literally said, well, I guess she's never going to really encounter God and get saved, so that's what I said, and I called my wife, and my wife's like, we just need to fast and pray. And I'm like, you can fast and pray. I'm not fasting, as you can tell. I have, still haven't. I was like, I'm not fasting. I'm not going to pray. I said, you know what? It is what it is. Like, is. I'm just going to kind of wash my hands. I've done what I can. In the back of my mind, I'm thinking, man, I've wasted my time. I've wasted my money. Because I was taking her out to eat, right? I was, I, 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 I've wasted four. This is what's going on. I just want to be honest with you. This was going on in my mind, because I feel like there's a lot of us that do the same thing in their own situations. Where all of a sudden it's so easy to follow and worship God when everything seems to be going according to your plan. And then the moment you think it's starting to skew down, you start regretting all the good you've done. When the Bible says, do not grow weary in doing But yet yeah, that's the very thing that happens when things start detouring the way we want them to go. That's what's happening. All of a sudden my plan wasn't in place no more. My plan in my track was sister stay, she goes to YWAM. She didn't do that. So all of a sudden, I'm like, I don't, I don't think this is going to work. I don't think my sister's going to get saved or truly stay. I, I don't know. I just, I, I just give up. And Marcel's like, we just need to pray and fast. I'm like, you can pray and fast. And she begins to pray and fast. And I begin to eat fast. I mean, it's just, <laughs> I'm, just I'm just, I've lost all hope in my sister. And so I remember I, I, I'm, I'm regretting all these things. And she's praying and she's fasting. And my sister at the time was, in a, was, in a, was, was still battling her relationship with another woman. My sister, she was a lesbian when she when she she came and 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 on her own choice and her own pursuit of God, she decided I'm gonna I'm gonna step away, I'm gonna pursue Jesus, and I want to live according to what the, what the Word says, and it was out of her own accord this is coming out, and but there was still a great battle with her with this, and and I remember the day my wife was praying and she was fasting, and 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 and, and Zelia was just still kind of just going through, I don't know what to do, like I, 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 these feelings are very real, you know, like I think one of the things that I've learned in this last season is you can't go up to someone who's. Depressed Depressed and say your depression doesn't exist. Because for them, that that may very much be their reality in the in the current moment, but it doesn't have to be their destiny. Right? I think we need to understand what it's like to to truly now I'm not saying you 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 create environments that, that cope that thing, but you absolutely get down to their to their level and say, Man, I understand a little bit of what you're going through. This is what you feel. Let me let me show you kind of another way. And she's going through this, and I remember the day my wife's fasting and praying, and my sister calls me crying. I'm in the airport now. I did a layover. I think I was in Dallas or something and she calls me and she says Brian I don't understand and and I'm like what she goes I came back and 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 and, and this this person said, they, they want nothing to do with me ever again. They don't ever want to talk to me. What's going on? And I'm thinking to myself, fasting and praying is what's going on. Like, this is insane. Like, this is crazy. My, I remember the day my sister called me from, from Kona just saying, Brian, I, I, I desire a family one day, Brian. Because I don't know if you guys know, but they, they told my, my sister, you know, when, when she was young, like, just like very similar to my wife, that she would never bear children. And there's been this great journey and battle for my sister Ever since she was born, my sister's one of the most lively people you'd ever meet. She's also super gangster, so much more gangster than I'll ever be. But I got to see my own, my own heart revealed in this situation, that when my, heart, when my heart became hope deferred, all of a sudden I felt like everything in my life was sick because I felt like my breakthrough was inconvenienced. And I don't know if you've ever read John 11 before. I'm gonna, I am want to read it to you this morning, and it's gonna, I'm going gonna to be brief this morning. But in John 11, I just kind of want to lay out the framework of what I'm about to read. In John 11, you see a story of a man who's sick. His name is Lazarus. Lazarus, how do you say his name? Lazarus. He has two sisters who had history with Jesus. One of them is Mary, who poured the perfume, right? And they asked Jesus to come and heal their brother. Their faith was strong, and Lazarus dies. He's gone. If you've ever, if you've never read John eleven, you're in for a surprise because this is a this is a chapter in the Gospels where it looks like Jesus totally missed it. And like if you're looking at like moments where you're like Jesus, you did a really good job here. Here you really missed it. Like this would have been a moment to look like Jesus absolutely missed it. This was a moment where Jesus did not cater to their comfort. This was a moment where he did not go out of his way to prove himself. In fact, he delayed himself multiple days before he would actually see Lazarus raised from the dead. I mean, and and the one, Mary, whom once washed his feet, who was full of faith and, and awaited Jesus, you find in this chapter when Jesus shows up and Martha goes, she stays home. Very interesting, the very woman who had so much faith, now when her brother dies, her faith is no longer there. Even to the point that when Jesus comes, he wasn't greeted by her. And I just wanted to read you this really quick. This is John 11. It's going to be a little bit lengthy. Just stay with me, okay? John 11 says, Now a certain man who was sick, Lazarus of Bethany, the village of Mary and her sister Martha. It was Mary who had anointed the Lord with ointment and wiped his feet with her hair, whose brother Lazarus was sick. So the sisters sent word to him saying, Lord, behold, he, him whom you love is sick. And I love that part because they're making sure that Jesus knows, like, hey, this is the one you love, Right? They're like, the one that you love, yeah, he's really sick. Okay, check this out. It says, but when Jesus heard this, he said, this sickness is not to end in death. Now, what's so wild when I was reading that, as I realized that Jesus didn't say that to them, he said it to himself. These women have no idea that Jesus is saying, this sickness is not going to end in death. The only thing these women know is they've sent a message to Jesus, it's been delivered, Jesus says the sickness is not going to end in death. Now check this out. But, the, but for the glory of God, so that the Son of Man might be glorified in it. Now Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. And when he heard that he was sick, he stayed two days longer in the place where he was at. I don't know. Have you ever, had, have you ever met people that everything's an emergency? You ever met those people? Like, you need to come now, right? I'm just going to bust one of my good friends, Chris. Chris. Um, court out in the room <laughs> it seems like every time he's in the back every time he needs he's like yo bb come here come here come here i'm like i'm like what 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 yo bb 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 what, can, what stand up for me andy this is what he does right every time chris wants to come so i'm standing here i'm standing here and this is chris because he's bigger than me right he's bigger than buffery he's like yo here, come here come here come here he's like man i'm like what man like what just don't step on my shoes please like and then it's he's always like yo bbb BB. what do you you think, man? Should I get the grilled cheese? Or like, I'm like, it's like not even anything that's that important. It's like, I'm like, did you like kill somebody? Like, what are you, like, what? Like, what's going on? Like, you got to confess something to me. It's rarely anything ever. Yo, beep, 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 beep. You want me to turn off them lights? I'm like, yeah. Like, It's never anything that's too crazy, right? Y'all know those people? How about the ones that are like, call me immediately. You're like, yeah, what's up? What's up? Hey, what are you doing? (laughs) Like, 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 you don't, you, I do that. Can I tell you my secret? You know, you know what I do? How many of you ever text someone and they don't text you back? How many are the ones that don't text back? Can I tell you my little secret of what I do to get people to text back? Hey, can I talk to you? All of a sudden you're like, hey, what's up? I know it's me, right? That's the trick right or how many know we need to talk oh dot 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 no emoji it's the worst (laughs) i already told you all a couple weeks ago i'm the dude that puts lol after everything because it makes it lighter okay so check this out he's there they hear no good report so when he heard this that he was sick he stayed there two days longer Now, verse 7, it says, Then after this, he said to his disciples, Let us go to Judea again. The disciples said to him, Rabbi, the Jews were just now seeking to stone you, uh, and you really want to go there again? In verse 9, Jesus answered... There are, are there not 12 day, uh, twelve hours in a day? If anyone walks by day, he does not stumble because he sees, uh, he sees the light of the world. But if anyone walks in the night, he stumbles because the light is not in him. This he said after um, that. He said to them, Our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep, but I go so that I may awaken him from his sleep. Verse 12, The disciples said to him, Lord, if he has fallen asleep, he will recover. Now Jesus has spoken of his death, but they thought he was speaking of literal sleep. Verse 14, So Jesus said to them plainly, Lazarus is dead. Verse 15, I am glad for your sakes that I was not there so that you may believe. But let us go to him. Verse 16, therefore, Thomas, who is called Diemus, uh, said to his fellow disciples, Let us go so that we may die with him. I don't know why that's in there. I, the only reference I could have for that is he was afraid of being stoned, right? He knew. Going back to the city, he's like, we're just going to end up like this fool. Let's just go to our death. Verse 17. So when Jesus came and found that he had already been in the tomb for four days. Now check this out. This is interesting that he was in the tomb for four days. If you don't know anything about Jewish culture, Jewish people believed back in these days that it actually took four days for the soul to leave the body, or the spirit to leave the body. It took four days. And on that fourth day was when they believed that the soul would either go to, to heaven or hell. Now, I also was researching up. I don't know if you guys uh, know how bodies decompose. Anyone know how bodies decompose at all? I'm pretty sure you all look it up on Google all the time. Um, But the body, on the third to fifth day after death, the body starts to bloat, and blood containing foam leaks from the mouth and nose. You're all going to go through this one day, okay? It's good news. I'm reading this, and I'm like, four days dead, this guy's really, really dead. Now it says, now Bethany was near Jerusalem, verse 18, about two miles off. <clears throat> Many Jews had come to Martha to Mary to console them concerning their brothers. Just stay with me a little bit longer, Ken. hoping hope i not losing any of you. Martha, therefore, when she had heard that Jesus was coming, went to meet him. But Mary stayed at the house. Right. Mary was not in a good mood. Mary was distraught. Mary did not want to see Jesus. Mary, Mary, according to what I read in a few verses down, she seemed a little bit offended with Jesus because you know what? I washed your feet with my hair. I was there. The least you can do is have showed up two days earlier. Jesus, hey, Jesus is coming. You've ever been bitter at someone like that? You're like, hey, hey, bees coming home. Oh, yeah, cool. That's cool. Whatever. Like, right. You know, have you ever met someone or, right? <laughs> Like, you're just kind of mad at him, and you're just like, that's, that's nice, it's great, he's coming. You don't really want to see him. That's kind of where Mary's at in this particular moment. Martha, my wife's the only one laughing. Martha then said to Jesus, okay, this is crazy. Martha said to Jesus, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. You can tell, she's a little bit salty, okay? Even now... I know that whatever you ask of God, God will give it to you. And Jesus answered her and said, Your brother will rise again. Martha said, I know that he will rise again in the resurrection on the last day. Verse 25, Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life, and he who believes in me... He who believes in me will live even if he dies. Verse 26, and everyone who lives and believes in me will never die. Do you believe this? Verse 27, she said to him, yes, Lord. I have believed that you are the Christ, which which means what? The anointed one of God. Christ wasn't his last name. Okay, you are the Christ, the son of God, even he who comes into the world. Verse 28, and when she said this, she sent She sent away and called Mary, her sister, saying secretly, the teacher is here and is calling for you. And when she heard it, she got up quickly and was coming to him. Now, Jesus had not yet come into the village, but he was still in a place where Martha met him. Then the Jews were with Sorry, it's in red writing. It's hard to read. Then the Jews were with her in the house, consoling her. And when they saw that Mary had got up quickly and went out, they followed her, supposing that she was going to the tomb to weep there. Therefore, when Mary came where Jesus was, she saw him. She fell at his feet and she said, "Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died." When I read that, I do not see that as someone who's expect who's expectant of anything. I see this as someone who's grum. I mean, someone who's grumbling. Someone who's complaining. As she might have a right, so her brother had just passed away. She goes, she leaves the house, she gets to the feet of Jesus. Her breakthrough that she thought she was going to get two days prior did not happen. Her whole life is inconvenience, And it's not like, like, like our inconveniences are like, man, God, you didn't come through for the rent. I'm a day late. Like, her inconvenience is her brother's life. How many of have ever lost a loved one here? Like, like, like a really close loved one. You could understand that, that kind of pain. Now imagine pinning that pain on God. Now imagine the one that you're to trust the most. Now you feel like let you down. When Jesus therefore saw her weeping and the Jews who came with her were also weeping, he was deeply moved in the spirit and was troubled. And he said, where have you laid him? And they said, Lord, come and see. Verse 35, the famous verse that you can all memorize. Jesus wept. If you can't memorize that, you got issues. So the Jews were saying, see how he loved him. But some said, could not this man had opened up the, who opened up the blind eyes had kept this man from dying. So Jesus again was deeply moved within. He came to the tomb. Now it was a cave and a stone was laying against it. Verse 39, Jesus said, remove the stone. And Martha the sister, uh, Martha, Martha the sister of the deceased said to him, Lord, by this time there will be stench. For he had been dead for four days, and Jesus said to her, Do I not say to you that if you believe, you will see the glory of God? Verse 41. So they remembered the stone. Then Jesus raised his eyes and said, Father, I thank you for what you have, for you have heard me, and I know that you always hear me, but because of the people standing around me, I said, so that they may believe that you've sent me. Verse 43. And when he had said these things, he cried out in a loud voice, Lazarus, come forth. The man who had died came forth, bound hand and foot with wrappings, and his face was wrapped around with cloth. And Jesus said, "Unbind him and let him go." Now we read that, and sadly, in our in our culture, we we most of us have probably never seen. Has anyone ever seen the dead raised here? Anybody? A few of you have seen the dead raised. I've personally have never seen. I've only seen you know Reinhard Bonke videos and people in Africa and getting raised. But I could could imagine it's probably one of the most impactful miracles. I was just preaching with this guy in in brazil who uh when his his baby was born uh his baby was born um dead and so the 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 doc, uh, stillborn the baby came out stillborn and and, and um it was a crazy c section the wife was out so she didn't even know what was going on she was dazed she was in labor for hours baby came out stillborn the doctor hands the baby to the father and says here you go say your last goodbyes we're going to take the baby and he literally holds the baby in this room and and he and he puts her down and he just begins to cry out to God. I mean as he's telling this story, I'm just like my tears are already rolling down because I got another one coming and I know what it's like to, to to receive a a baby, you know, well not not like receive it out of me, but I know I know what it's like to 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 see uh to see my 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 children be born. I know what it's like to hear their first cry. I know what it's like to look at them and say, thank God you look nothing like me, right? I know what it's like to to be so protective from, from the doctors. You're kind of like, hey, be gentle, you know? Like, also, where's my free lunch? I pay $1,000 for insurance. You know, I, know, I know what it's like to, to be in those hospital rooms, and I can imagine this father just standing here. This guy's name is Mish, and he's talking about how his baby was, was gone. He begins to cry out to God, and he begins to pray. And all of a sudden, as he begins to pray, he begins to see His baby's stomach begin to move. Literally, they pronounce his baby dead. His baby comes back to life. Now, it's one thing to hear a story like that and get stoked and be like, that's a really cool story. It's another thing when you're that dad. And if God doesn't show up, you don't have a child. If God doesn't show up, every prophetic word that you received over that child. I mean, literally, it's, it's, this is a real moment. And when I was reading this this morning about Lazarus, I, I, I noticed something. And it's that Jesus, when you look at what he did with Lazarus, and I feel like this applies to everyone in this room this morning, and what God wants to do even in us this morning, is when Jesus raised Lazarus from the dead, he didn't just want to raise him from the dead. Because if he would have wanted to do that, he would have showed up on the first day. He didn't just want to raise him from the dead. If he would have just wanted to raise him from the dead, he would have showed up on the second day. If he really wanted to raise him from the dead only, he would have showed up on the third day. The fact that Jesus showed up on the fourth day, the day of decay. The day when your body begins to stink because your flesh is rotting. The day every organ is for sure shut down. The fact that Jesus showed up on the fourth day shows me that he doesn't just want to raise you, from the dead. He wants to heal everything that decay has caused. Now, you imagine this for a moment, because we, we look at this and we skip it and we're like, it's, imagine what it was like the moment Jesus spoke to Lazarus and every bit of his flesh that was rotting, that was green, that was stinky, began to all of a sudden mend back together. Imagine the moment, boom, 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 boom. blood began to flow through his dead body. Imagine the moment—the organs that were dead for four days and and decaying—all of a sudden a miraculous. It's almost like God. Like you think Thanos turned back to Imagine just, imagine just God for a moment, just in, like literally reversing everything that decay had caused. Because most believers still walk around like a resurrected Lazarus with decay pieces on their body. There's things that they've been raised from the dead, but they still stink like they're dead. They've been raised from the dead, but they still walk with organs that aren't functioning. They still walk with pieces of their flesh that are green because it hasn't been healed. Do you realize that Jesus was, was, was far more than just raising this guy from the dead? He wanted to show, I'm in the raising of the dead business, but I'm also in the healing business. I'm also in the, in what everything that like, I feel like this last year, if you kind of look at 2019 for some of you, this might've been a really difficult year for some of you, right? And this is not an end of the year message here, okay? But... I feel like this last year had it said challenges. Would you agree? Yeah. There were some challenges that you went through. I'll be mean, even in my own life. There was just challenges. This is a new season for me. I mean, being in this place, being with our team as it's growing, even you guys this morning, there's been new challenges, new incredible things, and I'm being stretched constantly. Got another kid on the way, and I've just gone through things. I've gone through things with our community and with, with people that I've just never gone through before. And, and seeing that, I've, I've realized, oh, my gosh, like, this is crazy because out of everything that's happened this year, I can look back at the day Jesus raised me from the dead, but through all of this, he's also healing these pieces from this year that it almost seemed like decay was taking, that it almost seemed like a, you know, the, the, the process of life that just, that just wears you down. I'm reading this and I'm saying, man, it must have been so crazy because this looked like the most inconvenient miracle of the Bible. When you look at it, you're like, this is like, this is, you you showed up, you showed up late. But what was late to you actually is preparation for God. Do you realize that on that fourth day, no one could no longer deny his deity? Because that was the fourth day, there was, there was no coming back. Like, not only are you dead, your soul, according to our culture, is gone from your body. You are in heaven or you are in hell. Like, this is it, like... This, the fourth day was, I feel like some of you are on that fourth day right now. And Jesus doesn't just want to come and and make you feel better. I feel like we live in a church culture that every week we're trying to just tell, like, hey, God just wants to come and make a better version of you. He doesn't want a better version of you. You suck. Man, a better version of me sucks. I don't need a better version of me. I need a resurrected me. You know what I mean? Like, Honestly, like if you think that Jesus is in the 12 step programs to make you better, you've missed it. He doesn't want to make you better. It's, he's going to crucify your flesh. You're going to be raised with Christ. You're going to, like, this, this is what if, like, He wants to do this morning. There are things that, that your situations have caused death in certain parts of your life. And maybe you're physically breathing. You know how many people I've met that are breathing, but they're not alive? I've been preaching in schools for 10 years. You know how many kids I've met? They're 15 years old, but they've never experienced life because they died a long time ago. Pretty sure our, our OVX students got to see that on tour. They got to meet so many young people who were in that same situation. And I pray you guys are really getting this this morning. Like when I realized when my sister left, that day I was in Kansas City, I realized that that was my fourth day. That was the day I had lost all hope. That was a day that my heart my hope, my, my heart was sick. My hope was deferred. There was no more joy. There was no more right. How many of you ever gone through this? You're you're broke. You ever been broke before? I better hear a couple of amens. If not, I'll say it for you. <laughs> Just look at you. Say amen. How many of you ever been broke, and then you felt like God told you to give? Anybody? Anybody? How I many like you tripping? I ain't giving nothing. I'm giving. Give to the poor. I am the poor. I'm gonna give to myself, right? I know we've all used that before. Give to the needy. I need. I need that new iPhone. You ever been broke? God says to give, then you give and you get broker. That ever happened to you? Come on, I know it's happened to some of you. Right. And then you feel like the Lord says, give again. And so you give again and in your mind, you're like, I'm gonna give 10 bucks and a thousand dollars is coming back to me. Cause you watch like that word of faith guy on TBN. You're like, I bought the magic dirt from Jerusalem and I just have not seen the return. I bought the prayer cloth. Where's my breakthrough? You're like, I put the prayer cloth in my wallet and he said it'd multiply the bills and there's nothing multiplied in there. Come on. I know we've all been there before, right? No right? Maybe you haven't. Maybe you've never bought the prayer cloth. I know Lauren's probably bought a prayer cloth before, but you get broker, and you feel like the Lord's like, I want you to give more, and you give more, and now you have no rent. Come on, all the home leaders are like, amen, right? <laughs> you ever been there? You ever been there before where you feel like I was obeyed you, I did all you said, I've lived holy I've read my Bible. Why aren't you coming? Do you understand that God is not into contracts? He's into covenant. And a lot of times we treat him like, he's, like it's transactional and not relational. And this is where the offense comes in. Because when you look at something transactional, everything that's transactional, it's like I give you this, you give me this. People that look at giving to God like that are always disappointed. Because you can't look at it like, okay, it's not like it's not like a horse race. It's not like a lottery ticket where I'm going to put in a certain amount of money and I'm going to be guaranteed a return. You don't you don't know when or how or how much the return is going to be, but you know that he's good. Does this make sense? Like it, it, it's interesting. Like you, you you can sew in, and I've seen this in my life. There's been moments where you know where I where I've sewn in, and and in the back of my mind, I'm like, all right, I'm sewing in to get you know we've all been there. And then there's moments you're like I'm just going to sow in and just give and just trust. When you're able to move past the transactional view of God into the relational view of God, you really start to see him move like never before. Cuz it's no longer I did this for you, now you do this for me. He's not a genie you don't rub the bottle and he comes out. I don't no, really I don't I don't you don't like rub the scripture and he just appears. It's just not how it works. Really, I'm teaching my daughter this now. My daughter is in the why stages. You know what that is? Go to your room, why? Eat that, why? Put that on, why? (laughs) And as a dad, I'm just to the point where I'm like, because I said so, you know? But I'm teaching my daughter. The other night I was talking to her, and I'm like, you know, like when daddy tells you something, you got to just trust daddy. You got to trust that Daddy, daddy loves you. One time I think she came up to me a few weeks ago, and she's like, daddy, like, like, do you really forgive me? Do you really love me? it has been those moments for my daughter, and and she's learning that it's not transactional with me. There's many moments my daughter, my daughter knows how to win me. If she's going to get put on a timeout, she's like, Daddy, have mercy. (laughs) She tells me. Or if I say, go to your room. She's like, you know, she'll say something like, you hurt my heart. Like, good daddies don't say go to your room. I'm like, they don't, you know, I'm like, then what do they tell? Like I'm having her teach me like, <laughs> and I'm like snapping of it. Shut up and go to your room. You're, you're tricking me, man. It's not transactional. It's relational. It's what it is. And when you look at this situation, you can see that Jesus broke the transaction because these women tried to make Jesus come by saying, Hey, this is the guy you loved. It's transactional. You loved him. Therefore you owe him. Jesus' heart was to always resurrect him. It just didn't look like how they wanted it to look. And I feel like in your life, there's things that are going to get resurrected. There's relationships that are going to get redeemed. There's financial things that are going to get reset into place. The giving you've done, you will see a return. It just, it's just not going to be a transactional one that you thought it would be. Like, I want to encourage you that you would not grow weary in doing good. I told you, if... Un, it, the attack on their hearts was unbelief. And again, unbelief's trophy is your heart. If unbelief could win anything, it's, it wants to win you. And it wants to coexist in your relationship with God. Because Satan is not afraid of a believer that doesn't believe. You understand that? Like the enemy's not afraid that you attend a Monday morning, he's not afraid that you worship, he's not afraid that you have Christian on your Instagram or your Facebook. He's not afraid that you occasionally read your Bible like once a week and then post it to make it look like you read it every day. He's not afraid of that. He's not afraid of your verse of the day on your Bible app. He's not. He's not afraid of your boomerang. He's not. He's afraid of a believer that believes. He's afraid of a believer that actually takes God at his word and says, "This this is... man, I'm going to take this to the bank, like everything I got. And this is what I was most convicted about being in Brazil. And you know what? It's sad because how many, guys have ever, how many of you guys have been so convicted that you just do nothing, you're so convicted? You ever been in that place? Like, I'm just so convicted, I'm just going to watch Netflix. You know, like, I just, I've been there before, man. Me and Tim's eating cheese balls. Like, Tim's like, I loved Brazil. I'm like, bro, it's because you had cheese balls. It's not like this all the time. like, I know, I know what it's like to be in a place where my, where my heart is sick, where my hope is deferred, where it's drawn out. But this morning, I just wanted to be an encouragement to you, for some of you, that these last seasons you've gone through have been for something. Like God doesn't waste anything. I want you to understand that. The season you spent doing janitorial work, God doesn't waste it. The season you spent helping out people when no one's seen it. The, the season you spent giving money when no one's seen it. Seasons you spent blessing other people when you and the mist were going through so much. You know what I've learned is when, when we're getting attacked on all four fronts, what do we keep doing? We keep loving people, yeah. right? I had this wild concept that I, that I thought about the other, a couple weeks ago, and we have an idea of our inner healing when God's healing us, I feel like we've, for so many years, I've thought this, that when God heals us, he sits us down like a hospital bed. He does his surgery. He heals us. And then he releases us. But I'm looking at scripture and I'm looking at the disciples because those guys are pretty jacked up too. Would you guys agree? Like, it, I mean, they were so jacked up. Jesus doesn't talk about it. <laughs> you know what I mean? I'm thankful there's not a gospel of my mistakes, man. Like, imagine, that's how jacked up they were. He put none of it in there. He's like, this is going to just rock everyone's faith. We're going to leave this out. Like, It's interesting. I've learned about healing. So when God is resurrecting you, when he's healing things in your body, don't stop giving. Even when you're weak. You know how many moments I've gotten up and preached, and I didn't go through so much? You know how many moments Bailey's probably had to get up and lead worship? I remember there was a season Bailey went through and she didn't want to sing. I'm like, we're the only singer we got. Like, <laughs> we're kind of screwed. Can <laughs> you pull through for 30 minutes? And she'd get up there and she would sing. And I remember in Singapore, she was going through a ton of stuff in her heart in Singapore. And I remember she would get up stage and she'd lead worship because I was preaching there and my family went. It was an amazing trip. And she's lead, people are getting wrecked by God and she's getting off the stage, didn't feel God's presence at all. Mm -hmm. Can I tell you something, that's not called being fake, it's called being faithful. I'm not fake when I get up here and I share something that I'm still learning how to walk and navigate. Because regardless of where I'm at, God's word is true. Regardless regardless of, of, am I a perfect husband? No. Have I mastered being a father? No. Am I the best leader on the planet? No. But does it mean that I don't still stop going after it? No. This is where, you know, when I got married, I think my biggest dilemma with my wife is, I feel like she always compared me to dudes that were like 60 years old. She'd be like, why can't you just be like Jim Anderson? I'm like, he's 65. He's married for 30 years. I'm freaking 23. Like, he wrote a book on like healing. Like, I am his book, you know? Like, it. can I be honest, like, that's real. Why can't you just be like Pastor Nets? He's 56. Like, he prays every day. Like, I'm still learning how to pray. <laughs> you know, like, it's real. It's real. And you feel so defeated. you're like, dude, have you ever felt like that? You're like, man, I'm like, I feel like now I'm just in my therapy right now. I'm just, kidding. you ever felt like that? You're like, man, like, there's a crazy God given call. And then I'm just stuck in this 29 year old body. You ever felt that? Like, I mean, you're not 29, but you crazy God given call in your life. And then it's like, God's power, God's anointing, and then there's you, you know. And you're the vessel he decides to put it in. I look at these women, and, and even in Mary's weakest moment, I, her weakest moment to me when I read this is the moment she didn't run to Jesus. She didn't want to. Can I tell you something? There's many moments like that. But you know what I love about this whole scripture? is she didn't run the first time, so what did Jesus do? He gave her a second chance. And he said, hey, can you call her? Martha says, secretly, the teacher wants to talk to you. And she didn't respond a second time in bitterness. She responded a second time with kind of this weak faith. And she went to him and she laid out her She's like, man, if you would have come, you would still be alive. And it moved Jesus wasn't offended by that. He was like, how dare you speak to me like that? He was moved to tears. I want to encourage you that you would stop venting with people and you would learn how to vent with your father. You know how much how much gossip parties you would end if you would stop venting with everyone else? You know how much people you would stop making stumble? You know how many people you would save from becoming a stumbling block to their life if you would learn just to go to God? Right? The modern day of gossip meetings, we call it like venting, and I'm just we call it being real. Can I just be real right now? No, what you're really saying is, can I just like gossip for a moment? Can I just like pour all this junk? Like, what if you were to go to your father and just be like, man, this is everything I feel against you. You know, he's not scared of that. You know, Zoe does that to me. She's like, daddy, I need to talk to you. She's four. And I'm just waiting for the rebuke. I'm like, all right, what is it? What did daddy do? She goes, well, and then she's does this really good fake cry. If you know my daughter. <laughs> She liked even real tears. I swear she is Disney Channel material. Like Boy Meets World season three, edited version. She could be one of the kids. I mean, my daughter's like, she'll, she'll be like, Daddy, you spoke to me like this. Daddy, you took away my gummy worms. And that was mean. And I hear her request. I said, beseech me. And at the end of her request, I say, "Daddy, sorry. go get a gummy worm." <laughs> it's not my heart to hurt my daughter. I'm not saying that God's going to give you every petition you bring before him. I don't know if he, maybe he will, maybe he won't. I don't know. What I am saying is I would encourage you guys, just like these women, that there would be an expectation from this moment on that God's not just going to raise those things from the dead, but He's going to heal all that decays taken all the stuff that death has taken from you, all the parts of your life that have died off, it's not God's will that you would live dead. It's not God's will. It's not God's will that you would live in, 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 in the wrappings of the dead. So Right after he raises him, he says, unbind him. And I feel like for you this morning, that's what I want to tell some of you. Unbind yourselves from the dead clothes. You've been walking around with your, with your old season wrapped on you. And you're in a completely different place now. You know, I've seen transformation. I I, I live in a, I live in a community home, and I, I live with 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 seven women. Yeah, including my little daughters. That's why the Lord graced me with a son. He's felt bad for me. Just kidding. I love I love living I love living there, um, and I've been able to see God transform every single girl uniquely able to see them come alive. I remember when Lauren showed up and she was driving this car with no gas pedal on it. And literally I was like, you need a new car. Like she just didn't have faith the only place her faith would take her was that gas pedal going. That was her faith. And she even named the car. Was it Bob or something? Bob senior. You know, you're desperate when you name a, a broken down car and you're trying to hang on to it. And I, I've just seen these different women, or McLean or Stephanie, but I've seen them grow so much. And, and what's so crazy is a lot of times they can't even see their growth. We can. We look at them and we're like, wow, like you're totally not who you used to be. But in their eyes, they're like, you ever, you ever been there? Like someone like, man, you've changed so much. Or how many of you have ever gone on a diet and you've lost a ton of weight? And they're like, man, you look so good. You're like, I still feel fat. Like, like no, you've, trust me, you've lost a lot of weight. We're sometimes the last person to ever see what God does. And I just want to say, like, I don't know all you personally. I mean, I hope I get to know you more this next months and years to come, but I feel like there's a lot of things that God's resurrected out of you, and you just gotta you just gotta take off that old thing you used to wear when you were dead. The old way you used to be. Because you're not that person no more. You're not. You know, Francis Chan uses this analogy. He talks about a whiteboard. You guys remember whiteboards in schools? Some of you remember chalkboards. If you remember chalkboards, you're pretty old, but, or you just went to a really ghetto school. Um, but whiteboards, if you remember whiteboards, when you erase it, you can still see the residue. And I remember Francis Chan was talking once, and he says that God doesn't erase our sins like that to where he erases them, but you can still kind of see what used to be there. You are completely white as snow. They were saying? "Because He lives, I can face tomorrow." I mean, that's a that's a. when, When you think about that, like, because Christ lives in you, you have the ability to be a to be a conqueror every single day. Like, this is not just like this is not some Kool Aid. We're just trying to get you guys a drink and believe like, yeah, we're gonna be conquerors. Like, really, you're just like no. Like, you actually can be what the Bible says you can be. When I was in Brazil, I, I went to their their church, the their church on Sunday, and it was, i would never been in never been a church like this, ever, in my life. Like, most places I go, I could predict everything that's gonna happen. You got announcements, this, you know what I mean? Like, I went to their church, and and the worship's happening, and then Tao just gets up, and he literally just prays in the spirit for like five minutes. He doesn't even preach, and he's like, all right, everybody, um, who wants to get saved? And I'm thinking, like, it's like out of order. Like, <laughs> And all these people just start coming up. And I was like, what's happening? They're getting saved, receiving Jesus. And then he's like, all right, we, got, we all got you some Deutemus shirts. We're going to have you go change. we got a baptism tank right here. Who wants to get baptized? <laughs> then in there. They threw it on the screen. The whole church is worshiping as people are getting baptized. It's on the screen. I'm like, this is not a Sunday service. Like churches ramp up months for this for once a year, you know? This is the norm in Brazil. How is that possible? They've taken off the dead old clothes. They've let the decayed pieces of their life be healed. They're resurrected, and now they're walking as who they were always called to be. I refuse to believe that God has any less hunger for America than he does in Brazil. I I, I just refuse to believe that when God looks at the earth, he's going to say, Brazil is hungry, Asia is hungry, Africa is hungry. Oh, America? mm." I just refuse to believe that. When we were there, me, Tim was with me. We we're sitting there, and Tim looks at me, and he goes, one day, this will be our Monday mornings. And when I asked Tao, I was like, hey, can I ask you a question? Because seeing this service, like, or no, I asked uh, Eduardo, I was, it's like seeing this service kind of discouraged me a little bit because I don't see this in, in my nation. I said, how old is your church? And he said, 40 years. And I was like, dude, so if we just keep doing the same thing and we just keep pushing, and we just keep breaking, and we don't quit, we'll see it. Like, that's the thing. Like, that's the thing. When I'm here in the morning, like, and I'm over here worshiping, there's a thought in my mind. Part of me really wants everyone to engage. Part of me, like, please, I'm like, please just put down your phone, just engage. The other part of me just says, I don't care if you engage. Holy Spirit, come. Because if you come, really come, you'll change your room we don't have to fabricate it. It's a lot of work to fabricate the Holy Spirit. It's a lot of work to make Bailey play the right song, to make sure Anthony does the right key on the altar, to make sure Chris gets the lights just right. It's a lot of work. It is. And that's not what we're about. We don't want, like, the right setting. We, want, we just want a place where God would come. That's it. And so I just, this is morning, I just want to encourage you with that. Like, The old dead seasons you've been in, Jesus is going to raise you. He's raising you. But also those things that death has taken, he's going to completely resurrect it, man. Every organ, literally, every bit of piece of you that has been in decay. I looked up this morning, decomposing bodies. It's probably the weirdest thing on my search engine. (laughs) It's disgusting. And I'm like, wow, wouldn't that be a miracle to see that? Imagine me bringing in a dead guy for four days, laying him here. He better raise. If not, we all go to jail or something, you know? (laughs) Set him in the middle. Be like, all right. This guy stinks. You know? That's crazy. That's why they embalm people. I mean, even an embalmed person is disgusting. Right? Really, it is. You ever seen an embalmed person? They stink. Doesn't look nothing like them. You want to touch them? Like, it's just, it's, maybe you don't, but. God's going to resurrect those things, and he's going to heal those things. And I just wanted to just pray with you this morning. That was all I had. It was just super simple. Whatever you've walked through, whatever you've been through this year, whether your year, this has been the greatest year of your life, or 2019 has been one of the most challenging years for you. I feel like this, I'm not, I'm not just saying this because it's like two digits, 2020, and it just makes sense to sounds cool. I think next year is going to be one of the most insane years in, in every way. I think politically it's going to be crazy. I think revival is going to break out. I think high schools are going to be saved like never before. I really believe we're going to see this thing grow to a capacity that we're like, what the heck? How is this even possible? Like, we haven't even tried to grow anything here. I mean, Andy makes a couple posts every week, and some, Kevin makes some videos, and we just share them on Instagram, and I'm even looking at the room, and there's just hunger in the room, there's hunger, like there's hunger, and it's for a reason, you know what I mean, I kind of feel like this is like David's cave, you ever read the Bible, David's cave of his mighty men, kind of all the weak and feeble, they just kind of gather together in this cave, and they become the most mighty men of valor, and women, right, like they just get together, and it's like, Something happens and it's not, they don't get together in their strength. They get together in their weakness. They get together in their weak moments and they say, man, like, what do you need? And I think that's going to be our response. I think this Monday community is going to be the same way. We're going to get together and we're going to go to the Father and say, okay, what do you want? You want missions here? Great, we'll go. Oh, you want to do this? Great, we'll go. Oh, you need our heart to be whole and healed? Great, Work work out what's in me that needs to be healed. Let's get it out right now. Like, I don't want it in me. Like, what if our willingness to grow is like that? What if, what if God healing you wasn't even just to heal you? What if it was for the next generation? Because they need you. Like, your healing goes beyond you just feeling better about yourself. Your healing is the legacy your children are going to walk in. Do you realize that you in this room, your kids will never have the life you had? My daughter will never know a father that hits his mom. Never. My daughter will never know a father that hits her and beats her. Never. My daughter will never know these things. My daughter will never know divorce. Never. Like I've literally have rewritten the legacy already. Could you imagine her generation? (laughs) Do you imagine my son? Whoa, that's insane. The first, he'll be the first great-grandson, the first Barcelona. Everyone else, there's, there's no more, there's no more grandkids that are Barcelonas, that are boys. This is it, like, the first one. I've rewritten the legacy, right? I'm going to get him into sports. I got all these ideas for him, right? So, <laughs> you'll be the athlete I never was. Chris, come on, start training him now. Like, it, you are rewriting legacy. This is why you don't get discouraged. This is why when God's showing you things, it's not because he's a meanie. When God's saying, hey, there's pride in you, it's not because he's trying to hurt you. It's because he wants to get it out. Right? When God's like, hey, there's some, man, you got some real gossip issues. Can we talk with me? When God's like, hey, there's some real mistrust here and unbelief. God's not saying that because he's upset. He's saying that because he wants you closer. That's it. And he wants his legacy rewritten in you forever. How many of you came from broken families? Let me see your hands. You know what the most selfish thing you can do? Is to not get married. It's the most selfish thing you can do is to stay single in your own world because you'll never be able to give someone else the opportunity you never had. I think God delights when he puts broken people who he heals together. It's the biggest slap in the devil's face. Because the, what the devil meant for evil, God turns it around for good. He says, oh, look at you. You are so jacked. Oh, but what's coming is going to be so good. And guess who gets the glory? Him. Guess who gets the glory? Jesus. Jesus. You know, I'm so encouraged by Peter and Isabel's family here. I look at them. These are some of the most joyous. But every time I get around, they, they always come and give me hugs. I look at there's a promise that Isabel's carrying in her womb right now. I mean, I just look at like the redemption of God. When, I, when you look at this front row of this couch here, you can see the redemption of God in every single one of their lives. And to me, when I look at their marriage, I'm like, that's what it's about. It's selfless. It's not just what can we do, what can we buy, it's what can we give. I don't know what Lazarus did after he was raised, but I'm pretty sure his life alone was the greatest testimony he had. I feel like some of you are looking like, what's my testimony? Some of you, maybe you grew up in church, you're like, I don't even have one, let me go write one. No, don't go do that. You don't need to go write a bad testimony for God to use you. Why don't you just be the resurrected you, the healed you, and that will transform lives. There was no way in the world anyone could deny the deity of Jesus in that moment. Because there was no way that anyone else could have done what he did. And I feel like when I look at this room, that's what I see. The power and the proof of God lies in every one of you. You ever look, look, just look around the room, like like we're all young people, and we're not out doing, like at least I'm not, like for sure (laughs) y'all, like we're not out like going wild, just wasting our lives. Like we're saying we found something better. It's better than religion. It's better than just partying and like, oh, it's so much better. I mean, that's a miracle. You know, when I travel other states, they actually think like California is like the worst place in the world, especially LA. They're like, yeah, y'all are gonna fall out in the ocean. There's nothing good there. I'm like, you tripping? Have you been to a Monday morning? Have you been to HB with my homies of circuit riders? Have you seen YWAM? Have you been to Bethel? Like, there are still righteous here who have not bowed our knee. We're still here. We're still going for it. You stand, I want to pray for you.